Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. Oh, wow. Okay. So I saw the picture on the last, on the last slide on the caring and sharing. And I was like, man, that's, a, that's a, a, a picture from back before we started the church in Dos Hermanas. So now we have an updated picture. That's great. Don't mind the ugly guy on the, on the left-hand side of the photo. He's the uh, worst part of that photo. So um, thank you so much for having us come or having me come. I wish that my family could be here with us, but last year we were here uh, in the States, and it disrupted our family pattern. We wanted to come so that our boys could spend Christmas and Thanksgiving for the first time in their lives in the States with family. Um, and so we did that, but when we got back, the boys had missed so much school, and it was so difficult to get back on track. And so when Pastor Harness asked if I would be willing to come, I said, well, if I can work it out to come, it'll just be me traveling so that we don't disrupt our boys yet another year so that um, it's, it's difficult for them to get back on track with school and everything. So I do want to say thank you for letting us come and be with you. Um, it's been since 2011, Pastor Harness. Isn't that what we decided? Um, since I had been here and I was here with the family at that time. And we want to thank you so much for your faithful prayers and your faithful giving. Um, this church has never missed any moment. In fact, in a moment that was so difficult for my family recently, uh, I knew that this church was praying for us. And thank you so much for uplifting my family as we dealt with the loss of my father just three weeks ago. Um, as we waded into those waters that we weren't prepared for. And thank you so much for sending flowers. It meant a lot to my mom. It meant a lot to myself and my, my family uh, and to my brother and his family as well. Well, I'm excited to be able to preach this conference uh, this week, uh, this weekend, uh, better yet said. Um, Tonight, I'm not going to touch the theme of the conference, Caring and Sharing. I'm actually going to talk about Caring and Sharing on Sunday. So if you want to know what that's going to be all about, then you have to come back. And I'm sure that those that are here tonight are going to be back on Sunday because those that are willing to wade out into a storm or the possibility of a storm and then the possibility of having to go back home in the midst of snow flurries will be here on Sunday. So I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I want to have you back here so you can hear what that's going to be all about when we talk about caring and sharing. Tonight I want to share with you a message that's maybe a little bit different than a message that I've preached in the past. I normally typically uh, tend to select passages of Scripture and then work expositionally through those passages of Scripture. And tonight's going to be a little bit different for me. Maybe it's going to be a little bit different for you. Uh, but tonight I want to talk to you on the topic of a biblical perspective of missions. How many of you tonight, and it's okay for you to talk with me during this message, okay? It's okay for you to respond if I have a question. Uh, I want that if I do have a question. If it's rhetorical, obviously you're going to know when it's rhetorical. How many of you would say tonight, you're sitting here tonight, you're a member of this church or you're a regular attender, uh, you've maybe grown up in church your whole life, or maybe you have been in church a very short amount of time. It really doesn't matter. But how many of you sitting here tonight would say, Brother Hayes, you say you want to talk about a biblical perspective of missions. I think I have a biblical perspective of missions. How many of you would say that? Raise your hands. Okay, I think we're, we're, we're all kind of in the same boat. We all think that we have a very good biblical perspective of missions, and we most likely do. But I want to amplify what missions might mean to us tonight. So, Bruce Hunt said this. He said, the first proposition that I would have you consider is that the work of the church is missions. That is, the work of the church is not primarily self-preservation, the perfection of organization and equipment, the improvement of the membership, or several other firsts that people might propose. So he's putting out there that beyond anything else that could possibly be uh, the focus and the work of the church, missions is first and foremost in everything. First and foremost in the church, missions is to be our focus. 
before everything else, before the comfy seats, and I'm all for comfy seats. We have seats that are very much like this there in Spain. Before having nice facilities and great organization and, and uh, a great finance team, which is all, these are all things that we need in a church. But before all of that, our focus, our pr- priority ought to be missions. That is why we exist. The church today exists for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to fulfill the mission that God has given the church to do. That's who we are. It's in our DNA. We are people, or we are supposed to be people on mission. Now, I think up until this point, all of us can say, well, I agree. That should be the first thing that we think about, that missions is the priority of the church. And I would say that here at Wilton Baptist Church, missions is the priority. But how would you define missions? If we asked maybe three different people, we'd probably come up with about three different definitions. Maybe they would have some similarities, uh, but they would have maybe some different ways of bringing the mission around to completion. I think we would have different definitions. So I'm going to give a definition that we can um, stand upon. And this definition is not original with me. It actually comes from Webster's Dictionary, 1828. So this is an old definition of mission. And I like old things, okay? Because a lot of times when we modernize things, sometimes it can just be a, a disaster. Sometimes when we modernize things, it's a good thing. But I like the definition that we see here in Webster's 1828. The first definition that you're going to see in Webster's 1828 for mission is a sending or being sent, usually the latter, a being sent or delegated by authority. It's a little bit uh, obscure there. Let's see what definition number two says. Persons sent, any numbers of persons appointed by authority to perform any service, particularly the person sent to propagate religion and evangelize the heathen. Now, you know it's a really old source when it uses terminology like the heathen, right? Talking about those that are unchurched, those that are unreached. But that's what Webster tells us is mission. So mission is an authority sending somebody out to propagate religion, is what Webster says, but we could say maybe the gospel. Propagate the message that God has set forth in his word. Now, why don't we look at the definition for missionary? It's an easier definition. It says one sent to propagate religion. So if mission is a propagation of religion or propagation of the gospel, then those who are carrying out the mission's work, missionaries, are the ones who are sent to propagate the gospel, the ones who are sent to evangelize the heathen, to use Webster's terminology. When we talk about missions, we're talking about the propagation of religion. I know we don't like to use that terminology because we like to say we're not a religion, we're talking about a relationship. And that is true. We are talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. But really, there's a lot of things that come with that relationship. A lot of doctrine, a lot of uh, principles, a lot of things that we build our lives on. And we have precepts, and we use those precepts in the church. What is that called? That's religion. We're talking about the propagation of the gospel. We talk about the proclamation of the gospel to all peoples. Is there anybody here that would disagree with that? That the work of missions is to propagate the gospel. Missionaries are sent out to propagate that gospel, and they're sent out to propagate that gospel to all peoples. There's not one person on this earth that does not, uh, is not, absent from that. They're all peoples, all language groups, all cultures. But we will not have a proper understanding or a proper theology of missions or proper perspective, biblically speaking, of missions until we actually study missions extensively in God's Word. So really, we have to really dive in deeply into what God says in His Word about missions what God says about the concept of missions. And here's a question you guys can answer. When we talk about missions, what passage of Scripture do we normally go to? Anybody know? I heard, I heard a book. Yes, ma'am, back there. 
Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission. That's where we normally go, right? All of us could probably, if not cite the entire verse or, or, or say it perfectly, maybe we could uh, communicate the meaning of that verse, and we could talk about that that is missions. That's the Great Commission. That's where we're sent out and we're commissioned to go forth and to propagate that gospel. And this is Jesus giving us that Great Commission. And it's a great place to start. But what happens, because we focus primarily on that passage of Scripture and the other Scriptures that we would consider to be Great Commission Scriptures as well, we miss so much more that God talks about in regard to mission. We are so hyperly focused on the Great Commission as being something that that's the beginning of mission. That's the Great Commission. That's when it all started, and it's just a New Testament thing. And we miss the fact that God started mission way back in the beginning. We need to understand something. That when we talk about missions, when we talk about the mission of the church, when we talk about having a biblical perspective of mission, we need to enlarge our scope, enlarge our vision for what missions is to not just being a New Testament thing that we see happening in the church, but something that God has been preoccupied with since the inception of mankind, since creation. And oftentimes, we miss that because we are so hyperly focused on the church age, on the New Testament, on the Great Commission, or maybe because it's just a general unfamiliarity, possibly, with the Old Testament as individuals. As individuals. We need to understand that God doesn't have two different people or two different peoples God has one people. It's not that plan A was the Jews, and when that didn't work out, God said, oh, furiously, i got to find a plan B. i got to find me a people that's going to follow me. And then he found the Gentiles. That's not how God works in Scripture. And if you take the time to go back and trace the concept of missions throughout the Scriptures, you're going to find that the Gentiles were not an afterthought. The Gentiles were not something of God scratching his head thinking, well, that didn't work out with the Jews. I've got to figure something else out. And then once these, these Gentiles are, once I'm done with them, then I'll go back and try to do the Jews again. That's not how God works. The Gentiles have become part of the people of God because they have been, become part of the circumcision, which is a word that we use to talk about the Jews. You say, well, how did they become part of the circumcision? Not physically, but spiritually, not a, not a physical circumcision, but a circumcision, as the scriptures tell us, of the heart. That we are the engrafted branches. What does that mean? That we are branches that didn't belong to the tree, but we are branches that have been engrafted. We have been cut, and then the, the, the vine has been cut, and God has put us into that space. And then he's wrapped us to, to give us strength until we have grown into that vine. And now we produce the fruit that the vine wants us to produce. That's what it means to be engrafted. And so when we talk about missions, we have to understand that God isn't dealing with one people group and then the other people group. No, he's got one people, and that is his people. If God has one people, then that means he has one plan, one mission. There's a clue in Matthew of missions not just being a New Testament concept. And I want you to turn there quickly with, with me. And we're going to touch a lot of scriptures tonight, so you've got to have your fingers ready to go. Matthew 23, verses, verse 15. Matthew 23, verse 15. So Jesus is speaking here. And in verse 15 he says, Woe unto you... Scribes and Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees are who? Are they Jews or are they Gentiles? They're Jews. Okay. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Ooh, strong language, right? He's scolding the scribes and the Pharisees. Then he continues, For ye compass sea and land 
to make one proselyte. What is he saying? That they travel far and wide. They go across the seas. They go across the land. They hop on planes. They don't hop on planes because this was back in the old days, okay? They got a boat. They got a camel. However they wanted to travel at that time, maybe on foot. They travel over land and sea to make one proselyte. A proselyte is a follower, a convert. And when he is made, you make him twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. Now, obviously, this is Jesus scolding this, the scribes and Pharisees because what they're propagating has nothing to do with God's mission. But what we see is that the scribes and Pharisees had learned at some point that they were suppo- supposed to go and propagate that which God had written down in his scriptures. They were supposed to propagate God's plan, God's message. And so we see them doing this. And this is Jesus, before the Great Commission, talking to them, saying, hey, you guys traveled. And what do missionaries do today? We travel. We go over sea, we go, we go over land, and we're there to propagate the gospel so that people can be converted to faith in Christ. The Pharisees would travel to make a convert. They were missional. These are missional people. And so what I'd like for us to do tonight is we're going to look at Old Testament and we're going to look at New Testament. And we're going to travel through every aspect of the scriptures tonight. You say, Brother Hayes, you don't have that much time. I understand. I'm going to do it as fast as I possibly can. And you look for those scriptures as fast as you can. If you have a phone, it'll be even easier. So you can just get out your application and look for it that way if you want. But we're going to touch every genre that we find in Scripture tonight. And we're going to see missions or the mission in every aspect of Scripture tonight. So we'll start in the Old Testament. First, I want you to see missions as we consider the dominion mandate. Genesis chapter 1. That's an easy one to find because it's the first book of the Bible, right? Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 28. The Bible says, and God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve, and God said unto them. So he's about to tell them something important, right? He says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and uh, and of the sea um, and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You say, well, Brother Hayes, where do you see mission? We see God giving parameters and a concept that Adam and Eve are supposed to carry out. What are they supposed to carry out? They're supposed to fill the earth. They're supposed to subdue uh, the creation. That means to cultivate, to use it as it's intended to be used. They are supposed to create or cultivate culture. And what Adam and Eve were supposed to do was to fill the earth with others who transport with them the image of God. Because as we remember, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And they were image bearers. And so they were to propagate that image throughout all the earth. That's missions. That's mission. That's what God wanted. God wants to set up his community on this earth. And so from the very beginning, we can see the concept of mission. They were to cultivate culture. What culture? The culture that God gave them to, to cultivate. Obviously, we know how that turned out. Why don't we go to the Abrahamic covenant? Genesis chapter 12, a little further down the, ro- down, uh, the road in the same book. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, out uh, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and uh, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The Abrahamic covenant was never just about God blessing Abraham and through Abraham to the people of Israel. It was never just about that. Most of the time when we think of the Abrahamic covenant, we only think about the Jews. But what God was doing was he was going to use this line, this family, 
to start the process of blessing. Now, granted, we know that it started back with, Abraham, with Adam and Eve, but we're going to see this covenant, this promise that God is making to Abraham to make him a great nation, to have descendants, um, to give them a land, to give them a blessing, but then also that through Abraham, it uses this ter- terminology, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Question. When we read that, ver- that word all, what does it mean? Anybody? This is not your question. I promise you. What does it mean? All. Everyone. Completely. There's nothing left out. It's, it's complete in and of itself. And God is saying to Abraham, this is God saying, I will bless you, and in blessing you, you will be a blessing to all nations. Why? Because we know that Jesus is going to come from the line of Abraham. And so even in the Abrahamic covenant, we see God setting forth his mission to bless all the nations, not just those that profess to be Jews, not just those that can trace their lineage back to Abraham. No, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's a blessing to the Hebrews and through the Hebrews to the Gentiles. What about the plagues? You've read about Moses, right? You know about the plagues in Egypt? Why don't we go to Exodus chapter 9? Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. So how are we going to see missions in the plague, Brother Hayes? We're going to take it a look. Exodus 9, verses 13 through 16 say, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. We're all familiar with that, right? For I will at this time send all my plagues unto thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people. And I want you to notice this phrase here at the end of verse 14, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. Moses is supposed to be talking to Pharaoh. Is Pharaoh a Jew, or is he a Gentile? He's Gentile, because everything that's not Jew is Gentile. He's Egyptian. He's the Egyptian ruler. And God is saying, the reason for the plagues coming to Pharaoh's household and to Pharaoh's land is so that Pharaoh will know that there is no other God, there is no one like God in all the earth. Verse 15 For now I will stretch out my hand, and I will smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. Doesn't sound good for Pharaoh, right? Verse 16. Again, he reiterates what he said in verse 14. And in every deed, and all of these plagues is another way to say that, for this cause I have raised thee up, for to show in thee my power. And that my name may be declared throughout the earth. So what do we see in the plagues? That God is using the plagues to free his children, his, 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 his I want to say pueblo in, in Spanish, his, his people, Israel. And he's doing that so that not just Israel can rejoice that they've been blessed and they've been freed. No, he's doing it so that all the peoples of the earth will know who he is. That's missions. That's the mission. The mission is propagating the gospel. Remember? And the one that is sent is the one that is supposed to propagate the gospel. So in this case, we have Moses being sent by God, being told to go directly to Pharaoh to propagate the gospel directly with the person who is the most powerful person on the planet in this moment. What about Israel's place amongst the nations? Where are we going to see that? We'll look in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. (coughs) Excuse me. We're going to focus on verse 10, but really what we see in this first part, verses 1 through 9, we see that God is going to bless Israel beyond belief, right? It's incredible. You go back through this and you read it. I, I would encourage you to do that at home. It says, Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. 
blessed shalt that uh, shall be the fruit of thy body. God is just saying, hey, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you in a way so it's just all-encompassing. And we get down to verse 10, and he kind of gives us the reasoning behind all the blessing. He says, after all the blessing, and all people of the earth shall see that thou art called by my name, or sorry, by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. This is not some fear of trembling. This is not just this concept of, oh, we don't want to mess with those guys. This is an awe of who their God is. And so the whole reason that God is going to bless is not just so that Israel can sit back and say, look at us. We're the chosen people. No, it's so that all the peoples of the earth will know who God is. First Samuel chapter 17 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 46 says this, This day will the Lord deliver thee. This is David talking about what he's about to do with Goliath, right? This day will the Lord deliver thee <coughs> into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the, uh, I will give the carcass, carcasses of the, ho- uh, of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air. He's not just talking about killing Goliath. He's talking about killing Everybody, everybody who's the, the enemy. And to the wild beasts of the earth. And he says this, this is the reason why he's going to do this or why God has put him in this place to do what he's about to do. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. God has placed Israel in its position in the world all throughout scripture so that the world will know who God is. Not so that we would sit down and worship and yearn to be Jews, but so that we would see them, see God through them, and see God's plan for all of us. What about Israel's worship? First Chronicles chapter 16, in verse 31, the scriptures say this, let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Not just the Jewish people, let the earth rejoice, and let every man say among the nations, the Lord reigneth. Not just that Israel would say, the Lord reigneth, but that men would say among the nations, the Lord reigneth. What about the temple? When we think about the temple, uh, we think of only the Jews, right? That this is where God is residing in that Shekinah glory, in that, that holy of holies, and this is where they're going to worship and where they're going to praise God. How are we going to see missions there? Well, Second Chronicles chapter 6, verses 32 and 33 say this. Moreover, concerning the stranger. So we're already starting with somebody who's not part of Israel, right? Do we get that? The stranger. Moreover, concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel. Again, he's reiterating, the stranger who is not of your people Israel, but is come from a far country for, the great, for thy great name's sake, in thy mighty hand, and uh, thy stretched out arm, if they come and pray in this house, then hear you, uh, hear thou from the heavens, even from, the dwelling, from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth may know thy name. And fear thee, as doth thy people Israel, and may God know, sorry, and may know, sorry, that his house, which I have built, is called by thy name. The whole concept of the temple is not just something for the Jews, and we're going to see this a little bit later. It's something that God is going to use, yes, for the Jews' worship, but also so that the stranger, those who aren't a part of Israel, would know who God is. And one thing that I think is very interesting about the temple, there were times throughout the year that people from all over the world, yet another clue as to the fact that the Jews were missional people going far and wide to proselytize, but people from all over the world would come to Jerusalem and go to the temple and pray there because they were seeking after God. We see this including in the New Testament, the Ethiopian eunuch. The whole reason why he was in Jerusalem was because he was seeking after God. And then later God would send Philip to actually witness to him as he's leaving Jerusalem, reading Isaiah as he stopped by the wayside. 
And so God brought people to the temple that were not Jews so that they would know who he is. What about the Psalms? Psalm number two, verses seven through 10 says this. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen. Who's the heathen again? Gentiles. For thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings. He's not talking about Jewish kings. He's talking about the kings of the land, kings of all the world. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Psalm 20, uh, chapter 22, verses 27 through 28 says this. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of, all of, of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. They say, well, Brother Hayes, some of these are looking towards the future. Of course. Of course. In fact, when we get into the prophets, we're going to see so much of the prophecy that's looking beyond the time of Christ, even into his millennial realm, and we're going to uh, reign, sorry, and, and into the eternity future of when we're going to have all of these Gentiles and Jews together, because that was God's plan from the beginning. And this is what we're seeing. Psalm 46, verse 10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted, where? Among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Not just in one little culture here, but amongst all of the people. Amongst the heathen. Psalm 72, verses 17 through 20. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him all nations, all nations, sorry, shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who, hath, uh, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So I think we can see uh, through the Psalms, through the temple, through Israel's worship, through Israel's place amongst the nations, through the plagues, uh, through the Abrahamic coming, through the uh, dominion mandate that God had planned since the beginning this concept of missions, this concept of the Gentiles with the Jews, one people. And now we're going to see it in the prophets. And I'm going to go quickly because there's quite a few verses here. Isaiah 2 and verse 3 says, And many people shall go and say, Excuse me. And let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, to the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the, of the Lord from Jerusalem. In verse 4, after this, verse 3, uh, Isaiah defines this many people, this concept of many people, as nations. We can see that clearly in verse 4. Isaiah 24, 16 says, From the uttermost part of the earth have, he, have we heard songs. What songs? Uh, even glory to the righteous. We're talking about praise and worship. From the uttermost part of the earth we have heard songs. Even glory to the righteous. But I said, my leanness, my, uh, my leanness, woe unto me, the treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Yea, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 3. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light. And kings to the bitterness of thy rising. Or the brightness of thy rising, sorry. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 17 says this. At, the, at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all the nations shall be gathered unto it, and the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. So all these nations are going to be gathered to Jerusalem. They're going to be gathered to the name of the Lord. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. Jeremiah 16 verse 19 says this, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my ref... Uh, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come to thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Again, the Gentiles shall come unto thee. 
and they're going to recognize that their inheritance from their fathers was nothing but lies and nothing of profit. Micah 4.2 says, And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and uh, to the house of, of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Micah 5, four, a little bit further into that, into that book. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. We're not just talking about some limited space. We're talking about all over the earth. Uh, Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, and the waters... Uh, as the waters cover the sea. So the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Uh, Zephaniah 2.11, The Lord will be terrible unto them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and men shall worship him. Who? God. Not the gods of the earth. No, God, him. Everyone from his place, even all the isles of the heathen. Zechariah, or Zechariah 2 verse 11 says, and many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be, um, and shall be my people. Again, what we were talking about before, not one group of people and then God said, well, I got to find another group of people because this isn't working out. No, one people. He's saying it here. Uh, and many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be my people and I will dwell in the midst of the, of the and thou shalt Know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. And Malachi 1.11 says this. For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among who? The Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. So when we start and we only focus on the fact that missions is a New Testament concept given to the church, commissioned by Christ in Matthew 28, we miss all of the Old Testament where we can see God's plan from the beginning all the way through the prophets that God has planned all along to reach all peoples. And from the beginning, his people have been about reaching all peoples. The Jew and the Gentile making up the people of God. And our hyper-focus oftentimes makes it to where we're blind to the fact that missions is something much bigger than we could possibly even understand. Now let's focus on the New Testament. This will be faster. The Gospels. <coughs> Matthew 6 Verses 9 and 10 says this. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. These are the first three uh, requests in what we call the Lord's Prayer. And what can we learn about mission from the Lord's Prayer? Well, what do we see in these first three requests that the prayer is making? Hallowed be thy names. It literally means that God's name would be honored by us and by all men on the earth. That's missions. The second request, thy kingdom come. What is he saying? That the gospel would be preached and propagated and obeyed by all men. That's God's kingdom. When we will obey the rule of the Lord. That's, that's missions. That third uh, request, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is he saying? That all men on earth would serve God as do the angels in heaven. So that what is done in heaven, perfect service and worship of God, would be done here. Matthew 10 verse 18 says, And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. <coughs> For a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Why? 
so that they would testify of who God is. The whole reason why they're there giving testimony uh, to kings for his sake and to governors for his sake is so that the Gentiles would know who Jesus is, would know who God is. Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Mark eleven seventeen, And he taught, saying unto them, It is not written... Uh, is it not written, my house shall be called um, of all nations a house of prayer? Again, referring back to the temple, referring back to God's dwelling place amongst his people, that, he, that that house will be called by all nations a house of prayer, not just for the Hebrew people, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And then this is where Jesus cleans out the temple, right? Luke chapter 2, verses 30 through 32 say this, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Luke 2 and verse, uh, uh, sorry, Luke 10 and verse 2 says this, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, and the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. God is saying, Jesus is saying, hey, uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of fruit that needs to be picked, and we're going to send out laborers, and we need to pray that laborers will be sent. This is before we get to the Great Commission verses. John 12, verse 32 says this, and, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. So that's just the Gospels before you get to the Great Commission. But then you get to the Great Commission verses. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the ones that are mo most known to us. And Jesus came and spake of them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Mark sixteen fifteen <coughs> says this, And he said unto them, Go ye into, the world, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Not just to one group, but to everybody. Acts 1, 8 says this, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And I want to pause here real quick because oftentimes when we think about this verse, Acts 1, 8, we think about uh, our own local area as being our Jerusalem, and then the area that's a little bit beyond us as our Judea, and then a little bit beyond that is Samaria, and then beyond that is the uttermost part. But we need to understand something, that when, when Jesus is telling his disciples that they need to wait and they'll receive power, and then after that they're going to be witnesses, when he says that they're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, he literally means Jerusalem. When he says that they're going to be witnesses uh, in Judea, he literally means Judea. And if you're, if you're really quick, if he says Samaria, where is he talking about? He's talking about Samaria. So we need to understand, oftentimes with our American mentality, we look at America as the center focus of missions work. And what God is saying is that actually America is the uttermost parts of the earth. Really, historically speaking, America came onto the scene in Christianity much later than all these other places. Asia and Africa received the gospel long before the Americas ever received the gospel. Those are the Great Commission verses. And oftentimes what we do is we focus only on these three passages and we forget about everything else. But we continue. There's a lot of other verses in the New Testament that talk about missions. A lot of it is talking about the actual living out of missions. Acts 13, verse 47 says this, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Romans 1, 5, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name. Romans 10 verses 12 through 15. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all 
that call upon him, regardless of creed or culture. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they call, believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. There's a lot that we can unpack in that, those verses, and I'm not going to spend the time to do that. But we see that it's not just to one people group and rejecting all the rest. No, it's everybody and we make up one people. That's what we see here. Galatians 3.8 And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, foreseeing, prophesying, seeing it long before it ever took place, preached before the, before the gospel unto Abraham. If there's no clearer picture than this, uh, I don't think there's any clearer picture, better said, than this of what we're talking about. Saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. Galatians 3.14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Revelation 5.9. And they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people. Sorry, every, uh, all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. <clears throat> Revelation 7, 9 says this. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all the nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So when we talk about having a biblical perspective of missions, I'm not just talking about what we see in Matthew chapter 28. I'm not just talking about even what we see in the epistles, what we've just uh, read and beyond what we've just read. When I talk about a biblical perspective of missions, what I'm actually talking about is seeing that God has been active in missions since the beginning of time. That God has been actively propagating his, his, his message to all peoples at all moments of all history. It's not just the Great Commission for the church in the New Testament age. No, we're talking about from the beginning, from the creation of Adam and Eve, God gave them a mission to propagate who he is in all the land. And from that, that point forward, we see him continuing in this same vein. So I want to make a statement tonight that God is a God who has always been on mission. There's not been one moment, there's not been one single minute of any day from the beginning of creation till now where God hasn't been on mission. All throughout the Old Testament, God is working to the goal of one people comprised of all peoples, all kindreds, all tongues, all nations. That's been God's goal from the beginning. But we also need to understand something else. That God has called and that God has taught and that he expects his people, those who have already placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those who have seen who Jesus is, his sacrifice on the cross as sufficient for the re their redemption, for the forgiveness of their sins, that he has called them, he has taught them, and he has it expects them throughout all scripture to be on mission. If God is a God of mission and God is the God of all missions, then God expects his people to reflect who he is to a lost and dying world. Is there anybody here that would disagree with that? I hope not. Because that is God's desire. All biblical revelation is missional. There's not one aspect of this book that I hold in my hands and the book that you hold in your hands that does not speak about missions. 
You find it everywhere. Why? Because you see Jesus in every aspect of it. When you as a church are involved in the work of missions, praying, evangelizing, sending, giving, and going, you are connecting and participating in God's eternal mission. Do we get that? So we say we're going to have a missions conference, and we're going to do it uh, in March every year, and it's a great thing to have a missions conference. But we need to understand the magnitude of what we're doing here. When we say that we're going to be a church that is given to what is to be the mission of the church, and that is missions, propagating the gospel to all peoples, to all languages, to all tongues, all, kindred, all kindreds, then that means that we are connecting ourselves as a church to God's eternal plan, to God's eternal mission. Do we understand that? The magnitude of that? So every time you go and you talk to somebody about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, guess what? You are involving yourself in the mission that God has set forth since the beginning of time. Every time you pray for missionaries that are being sent by your church or uh, being supported by your church because you can't actually physically go to the, to the nation that they're reaching at this moment. Every time you sit down and you pray for them and the work that they're doing and you pray that God would give them opportunities to have gospel conversations, you are participating in God's eternal mission. Every time a young man gives his life to preach the gospel, from amongst the people in this church, you're participating in God's eternal mission. When you as a church are involved in missions, you are being obedient to God's calling, to God's teaching, and to God's expectation of being a people on mission. It's important. Really, it's the most important thing that we do. And I'm not just talking about missions in the context of going to a foreign field and preaching the gospel to a people that maybe have never heard it before. Missions is much bigger than that. It happens every day in every place. It happens in your interactions at school, in your interactions in, at work, uh, within your own family that's where missions takes place. There's not one place in this world that missions doesn't take place. And so we see that to truly have a holistic, biblical perspective of missions, we have to understand that it's way bigger than just what we typically consider. And that means that God is always on mission. If he has been since the beginning of time, and he is now, it means that there's never been a moment. The question is this, and I'll finish. Are you? Are you on mission? God's desire is that all of his people are on mission. Maybe you're not going to go to Spain and start a church, but maybe God would have you to reach your uncle or your brother or your classmate or your coworker. Maybe God would use you to work within your sphere of influence here in Wilton or in uh, Glens Falls. Is that the proper way to say that? Because when I saw it, I was like, this is not an apostrophe. It's not possessive. It's not his waterfall. It's Glens Falls. I didn't know how to say that. I was like looking at the, I'm that kind of a person. I look at the, the road sign like, did they mean to say that? Schenectady, did I say that okay? I'm not from New York, so you gotta, you gotta help me. Maybe God would use you to reach your sphere of influence and in doing so, partake in this eternal mission. But the question is, are you? This missions conference is not just so that we can see pictures of people that are being reached by other people that we'll probably never meet personally. We have missions conferences so that God can reach out and touch your life so that you would be on mission. And guess what? You being on missions 
on mission allows you to have an impact so that others can be on mission. Because when you're on mission, whether it be praying, whether it be giving, whether it be evangelizing, whether it be whatever the case may be, going and sending, or all of the above, it makes mission possible. Not just in your life, but corporately as a church, and ultimately to the ends of the earth as you support missionaries that go to countries that you'll never, ever step foot on. But you have to answer the question. Are you personally on mission? You say, well, Brother Hayes, my church is a church that has a good missions program. That's great, but I didn't ask, is your church a church that's on mission? I know it is. Are you? Because the strength of the mission of the church or the strength of uh, the missions program, if we want to put it that way, of a church relies upon the individuals that make up the church. And I wanted to start this conference with this thought. Allow your theology or perspective, biblical perspective of missions, push you to respond to that question of yes. And if you're not, that you will be. I love that song that we started with tonight because it stated something in it that is perfect for what I just said. And I think it goes something like this, and those who sang it, you can correct me. And before you ask, I think it goes something like that. Does somebody know the word specifically? And before you ask, it's like the answer is yes. This idea of you don't even have to ask. I'm in it. I'm going. I'm a part of. I'm connected. I'm praying. I'm witnessing. I'm giving. That's what God wants for each and every one of us. It's not just for a few who go to some foreign land. It's for everybody that sits in these seats. That's what missions is all about. That we, as one people, are going collectively and propagating the gospel. Each and every one of us are sent by God to do his mission. Let's get involved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the focus of this church, and I know that this church is a church that is given to missions. They are faithful. They love missionaries. They give faithfully. They pray faithfully. Lord, but I, I believe that you would have our concept of missions be greater than just giving financially and praying. I believe that you would have us to have a more holistic perspective of what missions is and that it's not something for just a chosen few but it is something that you want each and every one of us to be involved in and not just in one aspect help us tonight to say God change my perspective help me to know how I can be connected to your eternal mission maybe tonight we'll have one that is thinking about being a missionary, going and serving you on a foreign field. Maybe we have one who's thinking about just committing to praying for missions or giving to missions or faithfully witnessing on their own time and amongst their sphere of influence. I don't know what's in the hearts of the people that are here tonight and those that are listening on live stream. But you do. You know where they are. You know what's in their heart. You know what you've been dealing with on, uh, in their lives. And Lord, I pray that they would feel your conviction and be happy for the conviction so that they can make decisions based upon what your Holy Spirit is working on in their lives. May we be a people individually that are given to missions so that collectively we can be given to missions. I ask all these things in your name.